This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast uh, on this uh, July morning. Uh, as we head a little deeper into the summer here and into the baseball season, uh, football right around the corner. And I want to remind you that we're going to have a, a football Friday podcast that will originate every Friday uh, at the same time. So be looking for that. We'll have more to say about that in the uh, weeks to come. We'll tell you about what we have format wise for that. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, I've always liked doing a Football Friday program, and we will do one this year. And remember, for all your uh, wagering needs, it's BetRivers.com in New York and Play Sugar House in New Jersey and Connecticut. And before too long, it will be uh, football season. It's, it's Training camps are right around the corner as we move a little deeper into what could be a very special uh, baseball season. Now, you know, the one thing here as we've talked about the Yankees with that massive uh, AL East uh, lead and the idea that, yes, they will coast into the postseason. But when you realize that in the standings, their record is just a few games ahead of what Houston has put forth. I mean, just four games in the lost column. To be playing seven sixteen baseball and have a team right on your heels, it shows you that what, no matter what is accomplished during this regular season, the Yankees will enter the postseason with a threat that is their equal in the Houston Astros. There is no question about that. That team is that legitimate. They, are, they have a right to think they are every bit as good as the Yankees, and it'll be interesting to see what Houston does to maybe tweak and get better and what the Yankees do. We can get better. The Yankees now on a very rare two-game losing streak. And one of the things you're seeing them try to implement is ways to get Carpenter into the lineup. They can do that by opening up the DH spot by putting Stanton in right field. Or now the idea of trying Carpenter in the outfield to get him some more at-bats. He's obviously been highly productive. The Yankees realize that, you know, this far into the season – they have gotten nothing out of Gallo and so little out of Hicks that putting Carpenter into the lineup on a more regular basis is a positive, and they will maintain terrific flexibility in this regard as long as they want to play judge in center field, and that now looks to be a regular thing. If they do that, it opens up a corner outfield spot for, for Stanton. It opens it up for a trade, it opens it up for other people. Uh, Benintendi's been mentioned a lot. He would be, he, I don't think he will be a cheap acquisition, but he would be a very, very good fit 
for this Yankee lineup going forward. And, you know, the thing about the Yankees is they have, while they've gotten nothing out of a Gallo who's one for 27, three for 38, 21 strikeouts in his last 38 at-bats, I don't even like picking on him, uh, and Hicks, who has been so abominable with men in scoring position, they have gotten so much out of Trevino, more than they could have ever even thought about, so much more. And the shortstop has been such a key acquisition in every way. He has played winning baseball on so many levels. His defense, flawless. His ability to start rallies, despite the fact his overall numbers aren't amazing. He has been a key, a a tremendous acquisition in a year where, you know, they haven't gotten great years out of LeMayu. They haven't gotten top years out of Donaldson. They haven't gotten anything out of Hicks and Gallo, uh, Higgy. I mean, you go down the line, and it's been a few players. It's been incredible pitching, and it has been a come-from-behind magic that could be very hard to duplicate come postseason and postseason pitching. You know, it's interesting how many times when the Yankees have lost that they've scored, you know, zero or one run. A lot of times for a team that has the kind of lineup and the kind of power that they possess. Is There's not a lot there to pick on. We know how flawless the pitching has been. We know how much improved the defense has been how timely the hitting has been, the base running. I mean, everything has bounced right. And I'd say that they have lived under a star this first half of the season too because the ball has bounced their way. The calls have gone their way. The other team has made the the wrong play at the wrong time, has kicked the ball at the right time. I mean, so so many things have gone the Yankees' way uh, that it has been a magical uh, first half. They have salted away the division title as they get ready to make their uh, entrance into Boston. They hope it will be a triumphant one. The Red Sox have finally cooled off after that torrid, torrid 42 games that they played to get themselves back to second place and respectability. They've leveled off off that, find themselves 13 games out, but it still will be interesting to see as the Yankees uh make their entrance into Fenway. Um, for the Mets, Alonzo has cooled off. You knew what was going to happen. Hasn't had an RBI in seven games. Mets lose a one nothing game last night that they were all smiles about. Why were they all smiles? As you know, we know why. Because Scherzer went out there after 47 days on the shelf, took the ball, and was the best Scherzer that he's been all season. Through 97, snapped the slider, which has not been there in his rehabilitation. Obviously was overwhelming in his performance. So all smiles, everybody ecstatic, no pain, everything perfect. So from the standpoint of Scherzer returning, uh, it was about as good as it could have possibly been for 79 pitches. No walks, 11 strikeouts, two hits against the hapless Reds, who came back and won the game on a sack fly in the uh, bottom of the ninth. Um, 
But again, a wonderful, wonderful return for Scherzer, who stamped that he is back and back 100%. You have to be cautious with DeGrom here. Don't rush the process. Let him take the time with the rehab starts. Let him feel very comfortable. And while everyone was thrilled with what he did when he took the mound the other night, you must still remember it was only 24 pitches. Yes, six of them were 100 miles an hour. Oh, it was probably a favorable jugs gun. The, that doesn't matter. The velocity was there. More importantly, he didn't have any complaints afterwards, but it was just 24 pitches. To me, I will feel comfortable with DeGrom when he's completed his third straight 90-plus pitch performance for the Mets. When he's gone out there and in rotation, taken the ball on time and delivered a good, solid, the Grom-like 90-pitch-plus pitch performance three straight times, I would say that the Grom is back. Until then, I will withhold any judgment or any uh, celebration because, hey, there's just too many question marks that have to be answered. There's too many things about them that have to be answered. The other thing you look at with them is, is that when Alonzo is not on, they are going to struggle to score runs. I understand Escobar's gotten hotter, and they were going to keep Escobar anyway because we've talked about what a key he is to the chemistry of this team and how popular he is with this team. And now his bat started, has started to get going. His home run bat has started to get going. Alonzo had to hit a... He was on a torrid RBI pace. He had to hit a bit of a slump. He's hit one now. Lindor has driven in a lot of runs, but again, the offense is hit and miss for the most part. I mean, McNeil and Nimmo have been, and I would say Marte too, have been consistent. They need a bat, preferably from the right side. They need a bat. They also need a relief pitcher, which they know. And we don't know if they need a starting pitcher, but they probably don't the way things are going right now. They probably don't. But they will need a reliever. And I expect them to get a closer to set up for Diaz. That will be a big positive for them. And there will be bats available. And they can go out, obviously, and get one. And they will need one because, you know, you can see where they would struggle and will struggle for pop, for power, and for just overall performance. Early in the season, the Mets were very good at hitting with runners in scoring position. They hit very well in a timely fashion. They have cooled off in that regard. So from that standpoint, Yes, the Braves are inching closer. Yes, the Braves uh, have the ability to make it a race. Right now, they're two and a half games, three in the lost column behind the Mets. They're right there. The Phillies are within hailing distance. 
there's a good chance that will be a race down the stretch. But if you can pencil in Scherzer and DeGrom on a regular basis, there is no way any team can duplicate those kinds of additions to, to, to any club in the middle of a season. Last night was a big, big step in the right direction. Let's see if the rest of July will present what the Mets hope is a stamp of approval and a stamp of consistency on the ground. If they can do that, that's better than anything they could possibly add to this ball club. Adding one pitcher of that magnitude is a enormous positive. Adding two is almost too much to calculate. I mean, they go to a different level. They go to a completely different level with those two guys in the rotation. It changes the complete face and the feeling and the makeup of that team going forward. And Buck has done a wonderful job keeping this team above water when they've had guys down, the big pitchers down, injuries in different places, inconsistency in different places, and they have been anything but inconsistent this season. They have stayed away from that real dive, that two-week that just tears a hole in your season. They haven't had any of that. And in a very big way, Buck should be commended for that because he's handled his staff, his bullpen, and his roster in expert fashion to this point in the season. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to the Mike Francesa Podcast. I have been very surprised by the negativity around the uh, arrival of Brunson. I understand that the Nick fan, the media has wanted to have that moment where they get that no-brainer, superstar, franchise-building, lock-in 60-win guy. Those guys aren't available, okay? We know that. And they're not coming to the Knicks. But I think that people are going to be very surprised and very positively surprised with what Brunson brings to this team. This is a underrated player who last year, when given a chance, stepped in and played superbly. Who is a winning player in every way, who makes people around him better, who is going to be able to take charge of this team in positive spots at the ends of games, and I think you will see that he will be a very, very positive thing for the Knicks going forward. Is he the answer to all your prayers? No. He's not an NBA first-team all-pro player. No one ever said he was, but he is a legitimate winning player who has always been that his whole life, and he is a lead guard. I think people will grow to like him a lot. A couple weeks back when we previewed the draft, I told you I thought that 
Chen Holmgren was going to surprise a lot of people. I also told you that if I had the first pick, I would have taken him. I think he has to be used properly, but he brings a skill set that and an intensity for a guy that size that we have not seen. And the NBA is buzzing about his professional debut. 23 points. Seven rebounds, four assists, six blocks in 24 minutes. The first player in Summer League history to record five blocks and four three-pointers in the same game. Understand that. Five blocks, four three-pointers. Didn't miss a two-point shot. Didn't miss a free throw. Went four for six from three. And blocked five shots. Had six blocks for the game. Blocked five shots in short amount of time. If utilized properly, this will be a very, very interesting player going forward. I don't expect it all to come at once. I think his minutes have to be managed in year one. They have to get his stamina and his weight up, as you would expect for any player that young who's that size. He's got to still grow into that body. But he is a unique individual because There's nothing he can't do. He has a completely, for a plus seven footer with a seven, six wingspan, he has a unique skill set. He can make a three. He can shoot the ball. He can pass the ball. He can handle the ball. He can block a shot, and he's tough. I think teams are going to regret not taking him. I, I Listen, I think Boncaro's a good player. I think he's going to be a very solid player. I think he's going to do very well in the league. But I think Holmgren has a chance to be a special player. I don't expect it to come in the first year. I expect his minutes to be managed and he needs to grow into his body and deal with stamina and travel and all the things he's got to deal with first time around the NBA and deal with big men and deal with big men who are old, who are, who are full grown men and who are stronger and try to beat them up. And he's got a learning curve, but I think you're going to see some really good things out of this kid. I think you already saw some of it. His skill set is quite unique. A lot of people were knocking him. I just didn't get it. I did not get it. They didn't watch him play. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. All right, here we go. Podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send your emails, questions, comments. We try to get to some every show. Podcast at gmail.com. This is from Santee. He's the emailer, and he says, been watching America's game programs on the NFL Network this holiday weekend. I always wondered what the bad blood between Ditka and Ryan was all about. When Mike Ditka, Mike Ditka was a big-time football player, played tight end, Finished his career with the Cowboys, became a Cowboy assistant, then went to the Bears as the head coach. When he became the head coach, he was told, you're becoming the head coach, but I am retaining Buddy Ryan as a defensive coordinator. Buddy wanted to be a head coach. Buddy was an old-time grizzled coach. 
He didn't respect Ditker as a coach. He wanted to be the head coach, and he thought of his domain as being his. And I thought to a fault he was very disrespectful to Ditka. Ditka, who is a man's man and is a tough guy and could have, you know, destroyed Buddy at any moment with one hand, was very tolerant of Buddy's nonsense. Buddy was a very good defensive coordinator. He was a gifted defensive coordinator. He was a gifted defensive coach. He was a flawed head coach because he didn't have enough respect for offense. That's why Buddy never did well in the playoffs. He built some good teams in Philly, but he never won the big game. Uh, together, they put together the 85 Bears, and yes, they did act like they had two coaches, and they did carry the defensive coordinator as well as the head coach off the field. I don't think Ditka could care because he made all the money. He got the acclaim. He was a Super Bowl-winning coach, and you know what? He tolerated Ryan, but it was not a pretty situation. Mike and Limbrook, in all your years of broadcasting, is there an event, a championship you would like to have covered Examples, Knicks winning a championship, Jets, Super Bowl, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I thought there were two that would have been the perfect day for a Mike and the Mad Dog remote. The kind that we get there to the stadium and it's empty, it's one o'clock, and we set the scene for hours as the building starts to fill up. We start to interview the people around the event as we get closer to event time, and then the event happens. Okay, and we come on and do a post game. That's the perfect day. Two of them really would have been a lot of fun. One would have been the Giants Dodgers playoff game. The Giants win the pennant. The second would have been Ali Frazier at the Garden. Ali Frazier won March 8th, 1971. To be in that building early, as Dog and I often were at the Garden for big games. And we'd get there, there'd be no one there. They ushers be, you know, putting the seats down. The guys would be cleaning the place. They'd be getting the place ready for work. We'd watch that unfold. And then, obviously, people would start to fill in, and we would be on the air as this unfolded. We, saw, we did this between us a million times for many big events. But to do it for Ali Frazier in 71 would have been as big a New York event as we ever had. We got to do a lot of great ones in 94. We got to do a lot of Yankee, great Yankee victories. We got to do some big giant Super Bowl wins. So we got to plenty of big events, but those would have been two that really would have stood out. Steve emails, uh, who do you think is the most underappreciated professional athlete of the last 50 years and why? I don't know if I can answer that correctly off the top of my head. The most underappreciated great athlete. I'm going to take that one under advisement so that when I'm driving somewhere today, I'm going to think about that and then I will answer it going forward because I don't have a... I could give you an answer off the top of my head, but I think I might wind up changing it going forward when I really gave it some thought. Because that's a really wide-ranging question. The most underappreciated great athlete of the last 50 years. I'm going to dig into that one. We'll get back to you. Hamdy and Princeton. What is your take on Julius Randle? 
Yeah, last year was extremely disappointing. Uh, not just from a basketball perspective, but as a leader of the team. I thought it wasn't disappointing. I thought it was a disaster. I think the Atlanta series in the playoffs two years ago not only exposed Randall, it actually hurt him a lot. It, ripped, it stripped him completely of his confidence. He was coming off a year where he played really at a high level and lifted his team on a day-to-day basis and was a force. And he went into that series. He went into that series and he got exposed. He got embarrassed. And he hasn't overcome that yet. And I think he needs a new home. Jake emails, the NBA has got problems on the court. I'm not a huge fan of the sport as it's played today, but the NBA's biggest problem seems to be that superstars who should be ambassadors for the game have taken too much control. They sit out games, they treat the regular season like an exhibition, blah, 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 blah. He's 100% right. The biggest problem, and I told the commissioner this, I said, you have got to do something about the idea that your players especially your star players, can take off whenever they please in the regular season and treat the regular season like it has no meaning. What about the person who spent huge money to take their kid to see that person play? And he only comes to that town once and he doesn't show up. Or the TV game, that's the game of the week, and you got three stars sitting out. Now nobody watches the game. That has become commonplace This idea of resting players has become a big part of modern analytics. I'm not knocking rest as being a positive. I'm not knocking it as being a positive. But I am saying you cannot let this go on the way it has. And you're right. The superstar being given complete control of the NBA has taken it in a very bad place. And it has to stop. Maybe Durant will be the tipping point. Dom from Pittsburgh. I recently picked up a copy of Sam McDowell's autobiography. The guy had many personal demons uh, that I was unaware of. I remember him from my baseball collecting days. What can you tell me about him? I saw him pitch in person. Sudden Sam McDowell was a guy who could strike out anybody, anytime. I saw him strike out Mickey three times in a game against the Indians in 65 in uh, the second game of a doubleheader. He had great talent. He also had a very serious drinking problem, as we all know. Uh, But he was one of the, you know, he was a lot like Nolan Ryan. You know, he had incredible, incredible ability to be a just overpowering pitcher when on his game. Matt from Long Island, have you ever had the opportunity to interview Gene Michael? Oh, well, I I knew Stick really well, okay? And Stick's legacy is he and Buck Showalter in George's exile did a great job building what then became that Yankee dynasty from 90, whatever you want to start it, 95, 96, wherever you want to start it going forward. Stick did an incredible job. He had a great eye for talent. As a baseball player, he was a no-hit, good field 
shortstop of that era. In those days, shortstops were like Gene Michael. They were 6'2", they were lanky, they were long, they didn't hit much. Mark Belanger, Gene Alley, uh, Stick Michael, there was a lot of them. And he was a basketball player who also played shortstop. He was a good field, no hit uh, player, and then became a wonderful executive and really left a long, long mark with the Yankees and did some wonderful, wonderful things in trades that he made, in decisions that he made, and in also stopping Steinbrenner from making many bad decisions through the years, which would mean, you know, they didn't trade Bernie Williams. They almost did. They didn't trade Mariano Rivera. They almost did. They didn't trade Andy Pettit. They almost did. It's very fortunate they didn't trade players who became such wonderful winners for their franchise in, in a very big way. And Stick was a very, very big part of that. Remember, send your questions, comments, and we will get back on that other one, on the underappreciated player of the last 50 years. I will uh, go into that one in depth next time we uh, meet. Uh, enjoy your week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.